So if you, if you head in the back, uh, there's kind of a concrete musty kind of smell. That's, we, we took out all the flooring back there yesterday, and then we realized we should probably not do that till like a Monday. So it gives us the entire week to air out, but no one ever said we're the, we're the brightest. So anyway, if you, we, we sprayed for bees like crazy. I, we, we paid two high school kids to actually sleep here last night with the doors open, uh, airing it out and stuff. You're all, I would have done that. <laughs> Whatever. So I got to tell you, it is not as bad as it was yesterday. Anyway. I don't know. What I'm oh, so uh, today we are doing this moving day thing. Uh, if after this service you want to help out, grab some stuff, help load up this big truck out here. Uh, basically, all we want you to do is to help do that. And maybe on the on the way home, if you have something else we can throw in your car, you just drop off at the other place. Boom and done. Uh, you're going to meet Michael right outside the store after service, and he's going to give you a couple things. And that's not see, it's not a whole lot of burden unless you're like really strong, and then we're going to put all kinds of things on your back, make you carry them like a pack mule. It'll be great. Uh, but right after this service, check out with him, and he'll give you some stuff, and then help us move. And then we're, because I got to tell you, this move thing, it is killing me. It is killing me. I am tired all the time, cranky. This is, yeah. Thanks, Jeremy Denton. Appreciate that. If you are new to Element, welcome. Uh, Element is moving. Uh, we are going to be here uh, one more month, and then we start services in our new place. Parking is going to be a pain in the rear over there, uh, but please still come anyway. Uh, we will have air conditioning. I don't know if the parking situation is going to make the air conditioning worth it for you, but please, please, just don't care. Okay, anyway, uh, if you are new, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. We'd love for you to take one home. If you forgot one, you can even use one. Uh, there are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get some notes that go a little deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions to go deeper. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More, and then Events in Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Uh, This is Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. And it says, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Uh, Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live in a way that brings great glory to you. That you, in turn, give your people great joy. That we would see all that you have done. And we begin to live that way, that we love the way that you have loved us, that we would honor you in what we do because we understand who you are. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are going through the book of Ruth. This is week eight. Today I feel like i got a really hard task in front of me for all of you because I'm going to do two things. Number one, I am going to go through the entire third chapter in Ruth, which if you know me, I never make it through a chapter. So. There you go. So that's one. And the second thing is I am going to do my best to give you ladies some woman tips. Like Aaron speaks to women. Right? I, last week after I did the, the man tips from last week and I told somebody at the end of the service of doing that, they're like, I don't need to come next week. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you need to come next week. Whatever. It's, it's funny. So when, when I do this, it's about strengthening relationships. This is not the Dr. Laura speech of if you're married, just feed him and give him sex and it'll make everything okay. Well, I think that can help because men are really simple. Uh, there's a whole lot more involved in that. So to jump on the back of last week, uh, I gave man tips. 
in there. And so if you missed that, guys, listen to that. So these two things go back to back and they go together. So it all makes sense that I'm not just like harping on the ladies. I'm, I harped on the guys a lot last week. I think I gave the guys a lot more than I'm actually going to hit the girls with today in this. Um, also, also in this, please don't hold one another to an unrealistic standard. Okay? It takes time for people to change and to grow into who God calls us to be. So you can't walk out and be like, well, you're not like that. Ah, oh, you need to get back. Give them a chance to change. What we need to do is encourage one another. And what that means is not nag one another. Encourage one another on both sides to become the people that we hope for them to be. Pray for them to become the people you want them to be. And then hopefully you will also become the person God is calling you to be. And relationships will be strengthened and work out. So we want to encourage one another. Now, Ruth, it's a love story. It's a love story. It's the backdrop to King David and ultimately Jesus. And the Jews love this story. It's really unique in the Old Testament. It's this emotional journey between three people, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. I'll very quickly give you the background if you haven't been here. Naomi was married to an Israelite named Elimelech. He took his two sons and his wife to go live in this pagan area called Moab. While there, his sons marry Moabite women. Also while there, Elimelech and his two sons, Malon and Kilian from the, from the rap group Sons of Moab, they, they die while they are there. Their death leaves Naomi and her daughters-in-law in a destitute position. They have no income, no property. Their future looks completely bleak. And so Naomi decides she's going to go back to her hometown of Bethlehem and back to her people in Israel. So she tries to send her two daughters-in-law back to their families. Orpah, one of them, says, sweet, great, I'm out of here, bye. The other daughter-in-law named Ruth commits her life to the God of Israel. In our vernacular, she becomes a Christian, and she goes with Naomi back into Israel. Now, Moabites, they are not welcomed in Israel. They are a hated group of people because there have been wars between Israelites and them. They came about through this very horrible sexual practices. There's a whole lot of judgment going on. But Ruth decides she's going to go anyway because she has this bitter, angry mother-in-law. She's like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to commit to your God, and I'm going to make sure this comes together. I'm going to serve because I see how God loved and God served me. And so chapter 2 then starts where Ruth is working in the field of a guy named Boaz. A guy named Boaz. In the scriptures, it's, it makes this joke that, oh, by chance, Ruth was out in the field of Boaz. And what it's trying to tell you is there is not chance. There is not luck. It is not coincidence. It's the providence of God. God brought these people together. And it's the only place in the scripture that uses something like that. And so it's meant to tell you that the author is trying to be funny. Sometimes people just go, oh yeah, by, by chance this happened. No, nothing is by chance. God is sovereign and in control over everything. We say dumb things like it was coincidence, but no, in the scriptures, it is God's providence. And so you got to understand that God loves love. He loves it when we love one another and he loves babies. And so God's going to bring all that stuff to pass. I think Ruth is a great book for the church today because Ruth, as a woman, she's not really young. I mean, in that culture, you can get married in your teens, but she'd been married for about 10 years before her husband died. And so she's probably late 20s, early 30s. She has no kids. Uh, she's been a Christian for a short amount of time, has a family that's a pagan family, probably doesn't have a dad who was very involved in her life, and she's not a virgin. And then you have Boaz, the guy she's going to meet. Uh, He is an older guy as well, probably mid-30s, early 40s. In that culture, that's old, that's really pushing it. Uh, In chapter 3, Boaz will even say to Ruth, I'm over the hill. Why are you even looking at me? You should have gone after one of those young men. One of those young men. But she says no. The reason she goes, she loves him and goes after him is because of his character. Because of how he loves God and how he loves and serves others. And this is something that statistically women have said 
time and time again, of what they want in their men, even more than looks. I mean, guys, looks is nice. Groom yourself. The Bible actually tells you that in Proverbs, groom yourself, right? But, but there's more than that to it. There's, there's character that goes along with it. So last week I asked the guys, are you like Boaz? And I gave you all these characteristics. So today my question for the ladies is, are you like Ruth? Uh, this could even be some of you, maybe you're newer to the town or new to the faith, not a lot of money, not from the best family, not a virgin, trying to figure out who God is calling you to be. All these things are, are who Ruth is. Today, our landscape of relationships is changing. It's changing. Uh, if you look at America throughout the last you know, 40, 50, 60 years, in the 1970s, 36% of adults in the U.S. were single. In the 1980s, it's 39%, 1990, 41%, the year 2000, 44%. And in 2006, for the very first time, the number of single people outnumber the number of number people in the United States. This includes divorced and widowed people. And also, on top of that, people are waiting longer to even get married. Statistically speaking, 93% of people will get married at some point. Whether you stay married is a different story. Now, ages for getting married, they're also changing. In the 1950s, the average man was 20. Average woman was 20 at their first marriage. In the year 2003, the average man is 27. The average woman is 25 for their first marriage. And that has gone up a little bit, but it's pretty constant with that at this point. In those non-married years, what do you think people are doing? Are they reading their Bible, serving on mission, loving Jesus? No. Statistically, they are naked and having sex. That's what they're doing statistically. 80% of people are sexually active by the age of 20. Not married till 25 to 27, so something's going on. We call that the F word. Fornication. What'd you think? Yeah, I know. I know. Having sex with someone you're not married to. Uh, friends with benefits. Now it's called Netflix and chill. I didn't even know that was a thing until a couple years ago. And it's not about Netflix. Who knew? Uh, I was talking to this couple in my office one time about this, and, and she's a believer. He's not. They're living together. And she says, I'm living with him. This is her words. I'm living with him to show him who Jesus is and how much Jesus loves him. And I'm like, that is not confusing for a dude at all. Because, right? Only 20% of w- women at their first marriage are virgins, and that statistic has actually gone down at this point. But i got to say, for you ladies, you 20%, way to go. Way to go. Between 1960 and 2000, sexual activity in American culture went up 10 times. 10 times. Between 1990 and 2010, it went up 72%, which leads to today one-third of all births are to single women. Today, one-quarter of single women, 25 to 39 years old, are cohabitating with their partner. Half of all women will do so at some point. Half of all marriages today are preceded by people living together. And if you are 20 to 24 years of age, you are most likely to cohabitate. 65% of Americans today across the board believe that cohabitation is a good idea before you get married. But people don't understand this. Statistically speaking, people who cohabitate before they get married actually have a 75% higher chance of divorce. That's not something our culture teaches. It's, it's the big lie. Live together. See if you're right for each other. Guys, the scripture calls marriage covenant. There is no preparation for covenant. Cohabitation is two people living two lives sharing one bed. It's not covenant. It's not one flesh. 84% of people who have been together say it's to try compatibility. But statistically speaking, it doesn't work. People who live together are also three times more likely to suffer from depression. Maybe it's because you're depressed and you're hanging out with somebody else. We're both depressed. Let's just be depressed together. I don't know if that's how it works. But uh, cohabitating women are 200% more likely to be beaten and sexually assaulted than married women. Cohabitating women are nine times more likely to be murdered by their partner than married women. 
crazy statistics. Whereas virgins who get married are less likely to divorce, 37% for men, 24% for women. And virgins who marry stay married and are happier and have more and better sex in their marriages. And I don't tell you that to keep guilt on your head in any way. What I tell you that is so you understand that God is not trying to keep anyone from pleasure. He's not. He wants to compel us towards marriage and committed relationships so we can have the maximum pleasure and joy as he intended. And too often we look at the scriptures of God and we think, oh, he's just out of it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he does. He knows exactly what he's talking about. God is a good, good God. And he wants good things for his people. When we, when we don't follow God, our lives become destroyed. I'm like, why is my life becoming destroyed? Because God knows what is good for his people. And so in Ruth, you'll see how God has mercifully provided for Ruth and Naomi. They both start to see Boaz in this new light because of his character and how he treats both of them. Uh, and if you missed that again, please listen to last week's message. In chapter 2, verse 19, Naomi says, Blessed be the man who took notice of you. This is, we prayed that God would send a man into your life, and God has provided this guy right here. Boaz takes takes this huge risk by letting Ruth go into his field and take all this food and take it back to her mother-in-law. But Ruth takes a big risk by going into this field alone as a Moabite to go and try and get food for her mother-in-law and herself. So chapter 3 is going to be how Ruth begins to actually pursue Boaz a bit to see if he's interested. And ladies, you can do that to an extent. I don't know if you want to go full on Ruth because there's some stuff in our culture that may not go exactly uh, the same way. But I'm going to go chapter 2, chapter 3, and I'm going to give you 10. I gave the guys 15. I'm going to give you, like the Ten Commandments, I'm going to give you 10, 10 women tips. Okay? Number one, uh, Ruth is respectful but honest. She's respectful but honest. Chapter 2, chapter two verse 10, Ruth bows to the ground because of Boaz's kindness. This In that culture, it's grateful, it's respectful. She points out his generosity and she thanks him for it. I'm not saying you have to bow down to the ground in front of a dude. That's not what I'm saying. This is cultural. It's cultural. Ruth is not a woman who says, oh, I deserve this. I deserve you to give this to me. She's thankful for all that he does. She, she sees what he's doing. But then she also asks him, why are you so nice? Why are you doing these things? And so, ladies, that's okay to do. You can ask somebody. If there's like some creepy dude, just like, hey, I'm going to be like, uh, why? You know, we call this DTR, define the relationship, right? So if you're sending the wrong signals, you can send the right ones. It's very important, okay? D- DTR, DTR. Uh, in the text, Boaz does what he does for Ruth because he's simply a good guy. That's who Boaz is. He, he knows that God loves him, and so he loves others around, around him. He's not even expecting Ruth to be into him. I mean, seriously, and for Ruth, talking to an Israelite like Boaz, she can't think that he's even into her. I mean, what's her life like? She's a Moabite, raised in a cold, enemies of his country. He has only seen her working in the field, covered in dirt, smelling like sweat. She's broke, has a bitter, old, angry mother-in-law as a bonus prize. If you made a list of, of the women, you know, that guys are looking for, that doesn't make the list. I don't know any guy who says, man, if I could just find a homeless girl digging in a dumpster with a crazy mother-in-law, all my prayers would be answered. Right? No. That's not anybody's list, but that, that's the story. Ruth is not a virgin. She's got a lot of baggage. Second thing, Ruth acknowledges and thanks Boaz. She acknowledges and thanks him for all of his kindness and what he does. Ruth chapter 2, verse 13, she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. So Ruth sees the favor that Boaz has given to her. So she's respectful and honest and acknowledges and thanks him for the stuff that he is doing. And some ladies are like, that's stupid. I would never call my husband Lord. You don't have to. Again, this is cultural. This is vernacular of the day. This is like saying, you're a man and you're so awesome and great and you took care of me. You did this and you did this and you're strong. Great. No one's like you. Can I touch your muscles? 
That's, that's what it's like. Ladies, I got to tell you, sometimes you should be like with the jar of mayonnaise or whatever, pickles if you're my wife, and like you can't. Fake sometimes that you can't get that thing open and be like, can you open this for me? And sometimes he'll be like, no. He'll be, but, but, no, give it to me. He's like, Ugh! opens that thing. He'll be like a Greek god. He'll be like, I have opened pickles for you. And he will hand them off and then, and then go, oh, yeah, you're so... And then touch his muscles and go, oh, you're so strong. Oh. Not in a mocking way, okay? Not in a mocking way. You're so strong. No, like, yeah. And the cheesier, the better. And guys will say, oh, oh, I don't like that. Guys love that. Guys love it. Be like, oh, no, stop it. And then do this. And if you do that, go, have you been working out? This is what Ruth does, okay? She acknowledges, she thanks him in, in the vernacular of that day. It's over the, guys, over the top is good. Over the top is good. And what she's saying is, you are dignified, you're respectable. It's not that he lords over her, it's that she sees him as respectable. And her heart is now being opened. Thirdly, Ruth still works hard and well. Even though Boaz starts to take care of her, Ruth still works hard and well. Uh, there's this thing in Proverbs 31. People call it a Proverbs 31 woman. And I think sometimes it gets a bum rap in some situations, but I think Ruth is starting to do this because of her character. We've talked about this numerous times now. Ladies, men want to be attracted to you physically. Guys are, are physical, visual creatures. But we also want to be attracted to your character and your work ethic. Marrying the princess is nice, but I'll tell you, it gets really old really fast. And if you cannot do anything, you need to learn, because marriage is meant to be a team of people coming together and doing life together. Ladies, if you're in your 20s and you're dating some dude in your 20s, you guys have to, again, define some things in this relationship. Because there are 20-year-old guys, a lot of times, are looking for a good time and not a legacy. You want a guy who's looking forward to the rest of his life. So you've got to ask some questions, like, can you read? <laughs> You'd be surprised. Right? Uh, when's the last time you were sober? Am I the only girl you're dating? You know, those kind of things. You've got to ask questions. Because this is going to matter about kids and grandkids one day. Uh, you will need to do life together so you can raise kids together. Don't get just caught up in yourself because then you'll use your kids for you and not love your kids as you're supposed to as a parent. It's not just, hey, they're hot. I think that's like Driscoll once said. He goes, he goes, hell's hot, but it's not a good catch. So you don't necessarily want it. So, Go beyond looks to character. Boaz, at this point, is now taking care of Ruth for the entire wheat and barley harvest. That's about three months long at this point. And so chapter 3, when it comes in, it's going to how? what are they going to do? Where's it going to go? If you don't know the end of the book, it's like, are they going to figure this out? Are they going to talk through it? And the answer is yes, because throughout the book of Ruth, women are talking a lot, a lot. Actually, Ruth, 52.4% is dialogue. 85 verses, 52 dialogue, and it's usually women talking to each other. So, guys, if you're ever like, man, she wants to talk all the time, it's biblical, okay? It's biblical. It's it's right there. (laughs) Open your Bible to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. Again, Ruth in our culture, she's a Moabite, so uh, she's got a culture much like ours. Dads aren't involved a lot. It's a culture that's very promiscuous sexually. Uh, Women weren't really held in high honor, again, just like ours. So as we go through chapter 3, keep kind of that in mind uh, that also this is what's called a descriptive text. It tells you what happens. It's not prescriptive, trying to tell you what you have to do because some things you maybe shouldn't do. But in that, I'm going to keep going with the women tips through chapter 3 to try and bring it all together. So Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 
1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So she points out the barley harvest is coming. It's, going to, it's coming to an end. So we've got to figure this out soon. So she's going to give Ruth some tips because Ruth was not raised in the Israelite culture. So she needs some tips to understand some stuff. So this is where she goes. Uh, verse 3, wash. It's a good one, okay? It's a good one. Wash. I know what some groups out there say to you women, you don't need to wash. Yeah, you do. It's in the Bible, okay? Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. That's get your good perfume out. Get your good perfume. I'm gonna, because of the, the text, and the, I'm going to call it the sensual barley for the day of, of what's there. So get your sensual barley. Uh, last week, I told you guys to ask your wife or the woman you're attracted to if there's anything you could do to be more attractive to them. I let my wife pick out my cologne because she likes the smell, and I don't care what I smell like, and if anything gets, gets her closer to me, I will roll in it any day. So she buys it for me. So let me ask, men and women both, just so not all the ladies get mad at me, because I'm more scared of them than I am of the dudes, but uh, don't shoot the messenger in this, but are you a good steward of your body in this? Are you a good steward of your body? Do you eat well? Do you exercise? Are you healthy? If you're not into you in, in a good way, why do you expect somebody else to be into you? So here's my question, uh, or here's my thing. My third one is, make a sincere effort to remain attractive to your spouse. Make a sincere effort to remain attractive to your spouse, or do you do that? So husbands and wives both, when I say this, ladies don't just say, oh yeah, I do that because you know I spend four hours like a car shop stripping and putting on makeup every single day. That, that's not necessarily what a guy wants. And guys, don't just say yes because you mow the lawn and you think that gives you a six-pack. That, that's not how it works. It's, this is, have you gotten lazy about your appearance and your weight and your love and your giving and your serving? What do they like? Ask them. That's who you're in a relationship. Do you have the same hairstyle you had 30 years ago? Are you wearing the, the same clothes you wore when you got married or the same underwear since the day you said I do? Change it. Okay. Buy something sexy. Ladies, if you're married, buy bras that snap in the front. Guys like that. Okay. Dudes, guys, get rid of the tidy whities Buy some like boxer briefs or something cool. Be like, hey, I know. Have you seen them? I, w- I probably shouldn't tell you this. Oh, the wheels are spinning. Sometimes, sometimes over my boxer briefs around the house, my wife's like, why are you wearing your underwear? I'm like, they're just like shorts. What? I'm like, what do you think? She's like, eh, that's cool. I'm like, okay. So it's good. Now, for me in this, I shower every day, sometimes twice. I brush my teeth multiple times. If I know my wife is frisky, I will not eat salsa. I don't lounge around in sweats. Uh, I, be- I wear the clothes she buys me. A lot of my t-shirts are ones that I've gotten through different things that we've done. But if all your t-shirts and all your clothes come from like box tops, from like cigarettes or beer, let her take you shopping. Okay, let her take you shopping. Reconsider your wardrobe. I'm not trying to make you metrosexual, but you need, if you want to be a good husband, find out what they like. If, you're, if your shoes stink, throw them away and get some new ones, or at least leave them in the garage and wash your feet before you walk in the house. If you shed like an animal, take more showers. Do something. And you may look at me and you say, well, you don't look that great. Exactly. This is with effort. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually lift weights, okay? And this is still what I got, right? So, But ladies... This goes for you, too. It goes for you, too. Make an effort to be attractive to one another. And so, ask your spouse, fiancé, boyfriend, whatever, what would make me more attractive to you? And listen to that. 
and listen to those things. And if you don't have one, then, then ask somebody what you think you could help in that area. So she says, Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Tell now, Boaz has only seen Ruth covered in dirt, covered in sweat, working out in the field. So Naomi says, dress up, get your hair foiled, get your nails done, shave your pits so you don't go looking like you got a sheepdog in a headlock, and head to the party. <laughs> go to the party. It's like Cinderella, but the stepmom's helping. So Naomi wants Boaz to see Ruth as a woman. So she says, number five, get in front of him. Get in front of him. Ladies, sometimes you need to get in front of a guy if you want him to notice you. And I mean, smell nice, be nice, act nice. Last week, I'm running out again doing another thing. My wife's working on something in the garage. And she goes, hey, and I turn around. She's like, right there. And she kisses me. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'm okay with that. that. That's a good thing. Get in front of them sometimes so they see and they notice. If you're not married, I'm not telling you to chase a guy. But I think sometimes you can get in a way. In his way. If there's a single guy that you like and he needs a wife, well, get in his way. Hang out at his GC. Talk to his friends. Hang out with his friends. Ask for a ride because guys are not always that brilliant. So get in his way. Okay? And this is what Naomi says. But do not make yourself known to the man, don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, I could get in a lot of trouble right here. Because it's coming. All right. Uh, ladies, don't ask all your single friends how to catch a guy. Because sometimes your single friends are single for a reason. What you should do is you should ask someone who's been married for a while and actually has a good marriage. Ask them, what should I do? How do I? Because they're the ones who will actually know. Naomi is helping Ruth. And she says, don't walk up to Boaz in the middle of this great party and start crying and be like, I don't know about our relationship. What's going to happen? What's going on? Because Boaz is going to be like, I'll take my food and go over here. Right? She's like, she's like mellow out, which is number six, give Boaz some space. Sometimes you've got to give him space. Let him relax. Drink a beer. Eat a bit. Guys who are eat, have eaten are happier guys. I've gotten criticized by people about elements of stance on alcohol. Uh, when I say drinking, I don't mean having your friends carry you to the car after the party. What I mean is a beer or two or a glass of wine or two, depending on what the pour is like. A crayon vodka, not the whole fifth of Jack Daniels. Follow laws. If you're under 21, don't drink. If, if, you, if you're going to drive, don't drink. If you have a problem, don't drink. But if all those things you can handle it, you know then be like Jesus and, and have a drink. It's a party. It's a celebration. It's all about joy. There's been years of famine, and God has prescribed these parties for his people to celebrate. God is the one who said to do this. And so what Naomi says is, just go to the party and enjoy it. Don't, have to, don't make everything heavy all the time. Just crack some jokes and hang out and be like, yeah, that's funny, that's great. Laughing at his jokes, that's a good one too. I didn't put it on there, but you should. Because guys think they're funny, and sometimes they're not. But if you laugh, they'll like that too. And so, and so she goes, let him enjoy the party. Now, what happens next is what I don't necessarily think you should do, because in our culture, it's not going to work out the same way. First four, she says, but when he lies down, and first, we believe dating relationships should stay upright. Okay? If you're married, go ahead and lie down. But dating, stay upright. You lie down, you get in trouble. Uh, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go in and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. And again, you've got to be careful, because this will be like a frat boy's dream. And he will tell you what to do. Yeah, I bet he will. I bet he will. Th- this can be really risky. But Ruth is offering herself to Boaz's in a way that is not completely inappropriate here. Okay? Uh, how their people came about. There's a lot of sexual impropriety in that. And so Naomi is giving some counsel. Is her counsel bad? Is she telling Ruth to cross the line? 
Not necessarily, but she is telling Ruth to dance on the on that line like it's a hoedown. Like, there's the line. Woo, I'm going to dance on the line. Because that, that's kind of what's happening. She's right, right on that line. And so, in this, this is uh, number seven. Uh, let them know your expectations. Let them know your expectations. So she's like, let him know what you would like him to do. This is the reason why men and women, we cannot read each other's minds. So you have to tell them what expectations are. Many times in marriages, people have issues because they don't talk about their expectations. You're expecting someone to do something for you, but you've never told them you want them to do that for you. So you just sit there and you're mad all the time. Use your words. That's why God gave you a mouth. Use your words. Tell them what's going on. Define some of your expectations. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor. This is where they break the husks. It's a big party. They're trampling on the grain. Uh, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz has eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now, this is not that Boaz has drank so much he couldn't stand up anymore. So he's got to go lay down somewhere. What this is, is people would go and sleep, and this time, at the heaps of grain so no one stole their hard-earned work. They would sleep there until market came so they could go and sell their stuff. So you have this party. There's singing, there's dancing, there's celebration. All these things taking place. And this is a righteous party. Boaz isn't off in the corner on a karaoke machine singing Katy Perry. Oh, 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 oh. Was that the song? Roar. You know, he's not doing that. This is a good, wholesome party. And I wish people could experience what good, wholesome parties are supposed to be. Because so often in our culture, they're not. They're horrible. But man, this is a good, wholesome party. Then she came softly, so she got ninja skills, and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. It's like, I was just dreaming about this. Verse 9, he said, who are you? And that's a good question, because prostitutes at this time would also come and do this. They would lay down at these people's feet. And so Boaz is rightly concerned about his own reputation, as well as the girl in his blanket. He probably smells the sensual barley, and he's like, oh no, sensual barley, what's happening? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And we'll deal with what this means in a couple weeks, but number 8, she's essentially asking him to take care of her. Asking him to be taken care of. She, she isn't asking him to marry her. What she's doing is she's asking him to ask her to marry him. It's kind of cool. Uh, chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz prays that Ruth, that, that God would take Ruth under his wings. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Ruth now uses that exact same language to talk to him. And she says, I want you to be the one that God sends. That's what I want. And this is why it's so beautiful. I think it melts my heart. For my wife to say to me, I, I, I love that you are the one that God sent to me. I mean, that, that melts me. It makes me want to be a better husband, a better guy. It makes me want to serve and love her my entire life because of the words that she says. And that's what kind of Ruth says to him here. This, this blanket now for Ruth becomes like a ring on a finger. And it's the first time that Boaz realizes that Ruth is actually into him. Some commentators say that they actually have sex here, and this is sex. I don't think the text supports that. I don't think it does at all. I think Ruth desires him, but desires him like a wife. And ladies, you should have a desire for your husband if you're married. And if, and if you're not married, have a desire that one day leads to that. Now, Boaz is going to respond here. And, I mean, I don't know about you how you'd respond if a beautiful young woman ended up in your blanket in the middle of the night. But this is what he does. Verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. So the first thing he does is he prays for her. See? If things are going to go bad, pray. A lot of times they'll stop it in the butt right there. Oh, my God. Dear Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Help me find my pants. You know, he prays, he prays. You have made this kindness greater than the first that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, 
Boaz probably assumed, and so did Naomi, that, that Ruth would find a young guy in the field she was working with. But Ruth didn't go after any of those people. She saw Boaz's character, and she fell in love with him. She says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I, do, I, will do all, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy wo- woman. And ladies, this is something you should write down too. This is my number nine. Ruth is a worthy woman. Boaz uses the words that are used of him in chapter 2, verse 1. Boaz is called a worthy man. That's a Hael Gibber. Here she is called a Hael Isha, a worthy woman. And it refers to her character. He sees her love of God. He sees her love of him, and it's beautiful. She sees him as an equal, a Moabite from a hated people group. She becomes a worthy woman. Why? Because of the grace of God. Boaz thought Ruth was going to be out of his league. Ruth thought Boaz was out of her league. They never thought the other person would be interested in them, and yet they both are, and they commit to one another. Boaz isn't the best looking. He's not the youngest, but he loves God. And he says, I would love to redeem you. You want to be with me? Sold. Sold. And so, and so right here, though, there becomes an issue because all good love stories have an issue. Uh, verse 12, he says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And so there's another person that's closer in line who is supposed to do this in that culture. Boaz wants to marry her, but there is this obstacle, so he's going to go take care of it. Verse 13, he says, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And this is my number 10, and that is Ruth trusts Boaz. Ruth trusts Boaz. Guys, ladies, if you have a guy who has shown himself to be trustworthy, trust him. Trust him. Don't second-guess him all the time. You you can do nothing more to belittle a man than constantly second-guessing him. Ruth trusts Boaz. Boaz doesn't break the law. He doesn't dishonor God because uh, he knows God doesn't bless sin, so they're not going to sleep together. Uh, he protects her reputation, and he makes sure she doesn't walk home when everybody's been drinking all night so some drunk dude doesn't attack her. She doesn't get hit with like, somebody lighting off a bottle rocket or, or something. And this is important. Not only does Boaz protect her purity, protect her reputation, he is going to jump a hurdle to marry her. And by saying, if this other guy will do what he can, that's not giving up. That's him saying, I'm going to get rid of that guy in a very polite way. Because you'll see what he does to actually get rid of him when we hit the next chapter. It's really kind of funny. But but he he gets rid of him. He shows he is trustworthy and dependable. Just like Jesus does for us. Verse 14. So she laid his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, protects her reputation and her honor. He not only doesn't sleep with her, he makes sure that other people don't think that he slept with her. Verse 15, and he said, bring, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and Boaz goes to figure it out. Verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? So she comes in in the morning, so her mother-in-law is like, was this the walk of shame? What's going on here? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So what he does, Boaz gives a gift to Ruth for Naomi, because guys, if you want your life to go happy, got to get the mother too. So that's in the Bible right there. Verse 18, uh, she replied, then wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so Boaz is trustworthy. She's like, he's going to go out. He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. I think this is important, too. When you have a trustworthy guy, he's going to go. He's going to figure it out. This isn't like a guy who says, yeah, let's get married in uh, seven years. It's not a seven-year age. It's like, if you got one of those, dump him and go find somebody who will actually do it in a reasonable amount of time. Because, seriously, guys need to get some things done. 
Now, if you were here last week and this week both, and you see how these things come together, hopefully you see how men and women are supposed to relate to one another. Not with manipulation, but with serving and giving and focusing on what God has done for us first. What you see in the text is Boaz has no obligation to Ruth. There is no law that says he has to marry her. He's going to marry her and make it happen because he loves her. I think Boaz is like Jesus and the church is like Ruth. Jesus doesn't have to save us. He does because he loves us. He loves us. This has been the pattern here of Boaz and Ruth, and it's helped us meant to see what the gospel is really about. In Ruth 2.20, Naomi says this. She says, May you be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. When she uses this word kindness, I've told you before, this is this Hebrew word called hased, And it refers to God's kindness, but also God's love. It has this love and grace and compassion, but has the idea that God is true to his word no matter what happens. No matter what. It's faithfulness in a relationship. Naomi had all these horrible things happen in her life, and she's very bitter, and she's angry at God. But now hope is being restored because Boaz is actually living like a Christian. He's actually living as God calls his people to live, and it restores hope. Because of how this is happening, her mind begins to be changed. And she says, oh, I knew God was a God of said. I knew God was a God of kindness. Well, she changed her tune, didn't she, from chapter 1 to now? That's a whole tune difference. And the difference is that you had someone that stepped into her life and lived as God called them to live. She prays God's blessing on Boaz because he reflects God's image. Not because Boaz is God, but he reflects God. That God is loving and God is full of grace and God has mercy and God defends and God provides And because he does that for Boaz, Boaz does that for others. Because we should love one another like God loves us. And I'm telling you, if you want a relationship that lasts and works, that's what you do. You love one another. You serve first. Marriage is two servants coming together, living in a relationship like God has first loved us. And if you look at all the stuff that Ruth goes through in this, you'll see how a lot of these things also parallel who Jesus is. Jesus defines his expectations for us. He's very clear. But he is also worthy. And he seeks us. And he gets in front of us all the time. And he loves us. This is what Jesus does for us. And so when you see the story of Boaz and Ruth, it is meant to reflect and remind us who God is and what God does and what God continues to do. This is why we talk about communion every week. It's why you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because as a people, it is God who has come to rescue and redeem and save us. And when we understand that, we begin to live differently. We begin to love differently. We begin to be a people who live out the great calling that God has placed in our lives. When you see how these two people who love God start to love one another, it's really very humbling, I think, for most of us, because most of us are like, yeah, I don't do it that well. Well, you know what? That's okay. God offers grace. And sometimes it's really hard to turn that ship. But I will tell you, as we do, as we do, God continues to come and rescue and restore. When we stumble and fall, he picks us back up and calls us to him again so we understand his grace and his goodness. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you guys. uh, They're somewhere in here somewhere. At least one of them is. (laughs) Um, And as we do, we're going to invite you guys to uh, take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back if you need prayer. Uh, They would love to pray with you. Maybe you're in a place today where you are in a relationship and you're struggling in loving one another and figuring some of those things out, well, they, they would love to pray with you about that. Maybe you're in a place where you're, you're not necessarily sure about the person you're dating. Uh, they would love to pray with you about that. If you have anything you want to pray about, they'd love to pray with you about that. 
Because it's an understanding of God's grace and his goodness given to us. It's not a list of these have to do these things. It's a list of we get to do these things for one another. We need to love and live as God calls us to. And so if you need prayer, they'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, there's offering boxes in the side and one on the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done, so you actually have to get up and give. Uh, there's food in the back, uh, as well as a whole lot of Febreze. Um, so uh, grab something to eat, meet some other people. Uh, and hopefully this week, maybe sit down with some other people in your gospel community or with some friends and ask some of those questions in there. You know, maybe, maybe say, is there anything I can, do you think I could do to make myself more attractive to this person? Is there anything you think I could do and how I could love better? And, and, and talk through those things. I asked my wife those, the questions I had you, because I don't just tell you to do it, I do it. So I asked my wife last week, and, and her response was, obviously she always says, I need to gain weight. Uh, and then she says, uh, you could listen to me more. And I go, I listen all the time. And she goes, just like that. <laughs> I go, got it. Got it. And she goes, and actually the attractiveness part and the character part, she goes, those two things actually go hand in hand. And I'm like, got it, got it. And I don't know if I listened this week, but I'm trying, okay. (laughs) It's all about growing and trusting who God calls us to be and the people we have placed in our lives, serving and loving one another. So let's first understand that our God has loved and served and blessed us. Then let us be those in our families that love and bless one another and then love and bless in our relationships in our life because our God is good. I think Eric is going to come pray for us. There he is. Um, it makes the switch to a guitar not as awkward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace for your goodness to us and for your kindness. And Lord, I pray uh, as we're all in different places in our lives and struggling and dealing with different things, Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust in your kindness and in your goodness, Lord, that we would receive the grace that you have for us, that we would in turn be transformed by your goodness to be able to love those around us, Lord, spouses, friends, co-workers, those who need to know you. Lord, I pray that we might see you for who you really are, God of love, God of grace, Jesus, one who showed us your love for us by dying on the cross for us, by paying the price for our sin, that we could come to you. You made the way for us to come to you and to receive the life that you have for us and the joy that you have for us and the peace Lord, that you have for us. And sometimes we struggle to believe that, to to walk in that, to trust in you. But as we see through the book of Ruth, God, you are in control. Your loving providence shows up in ways that we could never have imagined, Lord. You are so good to us. Help us to see that. And help us to trust in your goodness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.